Welcome to My Fair Katie, a film review podcast where I, Katie Schimmick, will watch movies with my dad. That'd be me, Scott Schimmick. Together we will dive into sometimes deep but hopefully always fun discussions of classic films. Today's movie is Gone with the Wind. Made in 1939, Gone with the Wind is an epic love story based on Margaret Mitchell's 1936 best-selling novel. Vivian Lee plays Katie Scarlett O'Hara, the beautiful lady, so beautiful every man falls in love with her at first sight. Clark Gable played Rhett Butler, the dashing rich man that Scarlett soons to fall in love with. The director is Victor Fleming, who was hired after 18 days of making the film after George Cukor left. Did you know Victor Fleming was the director for Wizard of Oz? I guess 1939 was a big year for him. I guess it was. <laughs> Two of the greatest movies of all time. And in case you missed it, check out my Fair Katie podcast on The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Olivia de Havilland, who plays the almost too perfect Melanie, and her eventual husband, Ashley Wilkes, is played by Leslie Howard. And one of my favorites, Mammy, played by Hattie McDaniel. The film opens at the O'Hara Plantation, Tara, in April 1861. There are three O'Hara daughters at Tara, Sue Ellen, Karen, and the beautiful, lively 16-year-old Scarlett. Their neighbor, John Wilkes, hosts a barbecue party at Twelve Oaks Plantation. Scarlett longs for Wilkes' son, Ashley, a soft-spoken and refined gentleman. At the barbecue, Scarlett flirts shamelessly with all the eligible and not-so-eligible bachelors, despite or in furtherance of her willful obsession for Ashley. While the ladies nap, the men meet in the parlor for cigars and brandy to discuss the coming war. Most of them boast of how the South will surely win the war, but one gentleman, Brett Butler, the visitor from Charleston, he disagrees. He states that the South cannot win a protracted war purely through the exhibition of pride and notes how that the North is better equipped and industrially superior. To avoid upsetting the other men, Rhett leaves the men to their dreams of victory. While the other girls are sleeping, Scarlet slips away from the nap room to speak to Ashley in the parlor. She declares her love for him, but Ashley tells her that he intends to marry his cousin. Yeah. His cousin? Yeah. I mean, they did that back then. That Wilkes always married their cousins. Roosevelt, you know, our president, he married his second cousin. Pretty sure it was second cousin. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Scarlet is infuriated. In her anger, Scarlet throws a vase at the wall, breaking it to pieces. Rhett suddenly pops up from the couch where he'd been resting and promises he won't tell a soul. The start of the war is finally announced, and all the young gentlemen rush to enlist. Charles Hamilton, Melanie's brother, is betrothed to Ashley's sister, India, but when Scarlet flirts with him, he proposes to her instead. Still angry at Ashley for rejecting her, Scarlet agrees and they quickly marry before Charles leaves for the front lines. A few months later, news comes of Charles' death from illness. Oh, that's kind of sad. But there's a lot more death, so it's not that sad. And also, she doesn't <clears throat> like him. She didn't really like him, no. No, she was just doing it for Ashley. To make Ashley jealous? Yeah, and get closer to him. Be part of the family. Melanie's family. Yeah, but they were going to... But they're cousins, so... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what happened next? 
Scarlet's mother suggests that Scarlet go to Atlanta to live with Melanie and her aunt Pity Pat. Pity Pat. <laughs> Scarlet agrees to go, but only because it will give her the chance to see Ashley again. While in Atlanta, the next year, Scarlet attends a fundraising ball for the Confederate Army in Atlanta, where she meets again Captain Rep Butler. The following year, Ashley returns home from the war on furlough. Still in love with him, Scarlet once again fruitlessly attempts to woo him, but with no success. Just before Ashley's departure, he makes Scarlet promise to take care of Melanie. More time passes. Scarlet and a now pregnant Melanie volunteer at an army hospital. Food is scarce and people are fleeing Atlanta. Scarlet can't take much more of the death and misery when Melanie goes into labor. In keeping her promise, though, she helps deliver the baby, then enlists Rhett to help her escape with Melanie to return home to Tara. Rhett drives them far out enough to get them safely out of Atlanta, then leaves the woman to return to fight in the last stand of the Confederacy. Scarlet digs deep for her strength and gets them to Tara. There she finds her mother had just died, her father has lost his mind, the house has been robbed, and all the food is gone. Scarlet is starving. The only food growing is a radish. One bite of raw radish makes her ill. She makes a promise before God that neither she nor her family will ever be hungry again. Well, that brings us to intermission. Since this is almost a four-hour movie, let's take a break here and get a word from one of our sponsors. This episode of My Fair Katie is brought to you by Radishes Direct. Everyone knows the feeling when you find your pantry is depleted from marauding children or renegade Yankees. Or you're just too tired from a long journey to butcher and cook that old mule. Call on Radishes Direct. Radishes Direct delivers directly to your home, providing you with only the freshest organic radishes grown in the fertile red clay of central Georgia. When signing up for Radishes Direct, you can be certain that you and your folk will never be hungry again. If you order now, My Fair Kitty listeners will receive a free box containing only one dirty radish by using the promo code Yankee65. That's Yankee65. So, following intermission, the war is in its final stages. A lone Union soldier enters the home. He claims that he's simply looking for valuables to move on with, but when he threatens Scarlet, she takes the gun that Rhett gave her and shoots him. Right in the face. Months later, news arrives that the war is finally over. Confederate soldiers march home, tended to by Scarlet and Melanie. One of them, Frank Kennedy, arrives at Tara and... Having long been in love with Sue Ellen, asks Scarlet's permission to marry her. Kennedy heads off to build his worth enough to marry Sue Ellen. Another few months later, Ashley arrives at Tara and Melanie rushes to embrace him. Scarlet is tempted to do the same, but is held back by Mammy. The carpetbaggers that came during Reconstruction impose high taxes on Tara, much to Scarlet's dismay. Terrified that she will lose Tara, she seeks comfort from Ashley begging him to come away with her to Mexico, where they can start fresh. He kisses her and admits that he loves her and admires her courage, but simply can't leave Melanie and her son behind. Ashley reminds Scarlet with a handful of Tara's red clay that she still has Tara, which she should love more than him. Wilkerson, the former overseer of Tara, offers to buy Tara from Scarlet, who rejects the offer and humiliates him by throwing the clay in his face. As he leaves, Scarlet's father gives chase on his horse, but suffers from a fatal injury falling off. Oh, so now, now 
Her mom died and her dad. No, her mom died and her dad. But he was kind of going And her crazy. husband. Both of them. Well. I, oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Scarlet again seeks the help of the only man she knows who possesses the means to save Tara, Rhett Butler. Rhett is being held in the city jail in Atlanta by Union forces, but Rhett had moved all his wealth to banks in London, where it would be safe, and he cannot help. Leaving Rhett, Scarlet comes across Frank Kennedy, now a successful businessman selling hardware and lumber. Seeing an opportunity, Scarlet tells Frank that Sue Ellen has another suitor and presents herself open to Frank. Sue Ellen is heartbroken after learning that Scarlet hastily married Frank and that he has paid off Tara's debts. I would be really mad at my sister if she did that. That would be that would be really mean. But seriously, he's like three times Sue Ellen's age. Yeah. I mean, I think she might have done Sue Ellen a favor. <laughs> Frank's hardware and lumber store flourishes under Scarlett's management. One day, Scarlett comes across Rhett Butler. He laughs, saying that she could have married him and become rich if she had waited. She leaves alone for the sawmill. Rhett points out that the shanty town on the way to the sawmill is full of dangerous men, but Scarlett shows him that she carries a pistol he had given her in Atlanta. Two men attack Scarlett from behind and overpower her before she can use her gun. A former Tara slave, Big Sam, saves her. That evening, Frank drops Scarlett off at the Wilkes home while he and Ashley go out to a political meeting. Red appears sometime later and tells the woman that the men have formed a vigilante group to punish the attackers, but that the Union army has been tipped off. Several hours later... In the movie? <laughs> no, in the story... <laughs> Red appears back at the home of Ashley and Dr. Mead with a squad of Union soldiers right behind them. The three men seem to be completely drunk, and Red tells the Yankee captain that they have just spent the evening with Belle Watley, who should confirm their story. The women, including Scarlet, are shocked and embarrassed, but the Yankee captain believes the explanation. As soon as the Union troops leave, Red drops the facade, revealing there was a skirmish and Ashley is wounded, but the two men who attacked Scarlet are now dead. More worried about Ashley, Scarlet neglects to inquire about her own husband, Frank. Rhett finally mentions that he was killed in the skirmish and is still there, lying dead in the road. That's two down. <laughs> A few days later, Rhett visits the now twice-widowed Scarlet. He realizes that she had been drinking heavily despite her attempts to cover up the smell by gargling perfume. Yummy. <laughs> She tells Rhett that she will never love him because she's in love with another man, but she will marry him because of his money. Rhett and Scarlett have a luxurious honeymoon in New Orleans. Rhett buys a large mansion in Atlanta where they will live. They have a little girl, Bonnie Blue Butler. After Bonnie's birth, Scarlett becomes depressed over growing old and her unrequited love for Ashley. Rhett and Scarlett have a falling out. Over the next few years, Rhett dotes on Bonnie, spoiling her rotten. <laughs> I really connect with Rhett <laughs> Giving her a pony and riding lessons One day, India Wilkes and Mrs. Meat Discover Scarlet hugging Ashley at the hardware store That night is Ashley's birthday party And Rhett, who has heard the gossip Forces Scarlet to go Melanie is the only person who welcomes Scarlet Arriving home, Scarlet finds Rhett completely drunk They have an angry confrontation And after he drunkenly threatens to kill her And make her forget Ashley This time he carries Scarlet off to the bedroom. The next morning, Scarlet seems deliriously happy. 
Red arrives to apologize for his behavior and propose a divorce, whereby he will take Bonnie. Scarlet's good mood vanishes. Red then leaves on an extended trip to London and still takes Bonnie with him. In London, a homesick Bonnie has nightmares. When Rhett and Bonnie return to Atlanta, Scarlet tells him that she's pregnant again. Brett reacts coldly, and Scarlet ups the ante by saying she wishes the baby were not his. To which he responds, maybe you'll have an accident. Scarlet swings at Rhett but misses, causing Scarlet to fall down the stairs and lose her baby. Later at Melanie's request, who has become pregnant again, Rhett makes an effort to be kind to Scarlet. Sitting on the back terrace, it looks they might stick together. But at that moment, Bonnie insists stubbornly on jumping a fence. Scarlet remembers her father's death, and her worst fear come true as the pony refuses to jump and fatally throws Bonnie over the fence. Red is devastated by Bonnie's death and refuses to release the child's body for burial for several days despite Scarlet's wishes. Melanie arrives at their home and manages to persuade Red to come out of the room and allow undertakers to take away Bonnie's body. Melanie collapses and goes into labor, but it turns out that Melanie is dying from internal bleeding. In a final meeting with Scarlet, Melanie asks her to look after Ashley. When Melanie dies, Ashley is left a broken man and confides to Scarlet that Melanie was always his true love. Scarlet realizes that it was all a charade, that she never really loved Ashley and can only wish that he had been clearer about his own feelings. Scarlet returns home, looking for Rhett, Red tells her that she will never stop loving Ashley, and so he's leaving her, for good, to start a new life back in Charleston. Scarlet insists that she now realizes that she loves Red and never truly loved Ashley. Red maintains that any chance of saving their marriage died with Bonnie. As he prepares to walk out the door, Scarlet begs him one last time, asking what will happen to her if he leaves. Indifferent, Red replies, Frankly, my dear, Earmuffs. <laughs> I don't give a damn. <gasps> and strides out of the house into the evening fog. Scarlet collapses on the stairs. She gathers herself only when she thinks of Tara. Scarlet is determined to return to Tara, make a new start, and try somehow to get Red back, saying to herself, after all, tomorrow is another day. Gone with the Wind has some pretty stellar reviews and credentials. It's number four on AFI's original list of the top 100 movies, and number six on the 10th anniversary. Somehow, Raging Bull and Singing in the Rain passed it. I can see Raging Bull, but Singing in the Rain, <laughs> we'll get to that one day. It's the number 43 most inspiring movie. It's the number two score after Star Wars. It has the number one quote of movie history on AFI's list, the frankly, my dear. I think it should be, after all, tomorrow's another day. Well, that was, uh, I think that was nominated. 31. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that was number 31 all time. Number 59 all time is As God is My Witness, I'll Never Be Hungry Again. Also nominated by the AFI quote list were Fiddle Dee Dee and I Don't Know Nothing About Birthing Babies. And it's the, it's the number two love story of all time. What's number one? Rocky? <laughs> yes, it's Rocky. How did you know? <laughs> So Rotten Tomatoes gives us a 92%, Popcorn Rating 93, Metacritic 97, and is I that, Is that good, 97? 97, yeah, I think 100 is the highest, so. And IMDb gives it an 8.2. So for awards, for the Oscar, it won Outstanding Production, which is the best picture, over top of the other movies we've been talking about this season, 
Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, all those stagecoach, all those other classic. It won Best Director, which who got Best Director? I mean, did George Cukor get a, a he like? He was only there for eighteen days. So did he get like the left hand of the Oscar? <laughs> Nominee for Best Actor for Rhett. It won for Best Actress for Vivian Lee. Best Supporting Actress, it won for Hattie McDaniel. Olivia de Havilland was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, so that's pretty good. Two in a category and still winning it. It won for Best Screenplay, based on another medium. It was nominated for Best Original Score. I don't know how it didn't win Best Original Score. I mean, it's the number two score all time behind Star Wars, and it didn't win the Oscar that year. Huh? Yeah. It was nominated for Best Sound Recording, unlike this podcast. <laughs> it won for Best Art Direction. It won for Best Cinematography for Color Movies, which there were only like three, so that's not the hardest category to win. It won Best Film Editing, and it was nominated for Best Special Effects. What special effects were there? Oh, don't you remember that big war scene when the Avengers came? Did Wizard of Oz win the best special effects? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, now it's time for earmuffs. There is one D word, famously or infamously. It is a G-rated movie. There's an unfortunate number of racial slurs. There's discussions of gore, but it's kept off screen. But you can hear them screaming. (laughs) Yeah. There are disturbing images of some wounded soldiers. One man shot in the face. No way this is G-rated today. Even without, like, the racial slurs. There's no way the just the screaming <laughs> makes it through. <laughs> There's some mild kissing. Yeah. And allusions to a madam and her house of ill repute. Right, the historical background of Gone with the Wind. This is based on the Margaret Mitchell novel, which was a huge sensation only a few years before. It was like Harry Potter, but bigger, because there wasn't cable television. There wasn't even television. So people just read books. There weren't even podcasts. <laughs> Cookie, right? And the movie was highly anticipated, and it was the event of the year. While the war in Europe engulfed the continent, America was obsessed with Gone with the Wind. So this is coming out of the Depression in 1939. So in, of war. What? Because Americans got more jobs because of the war. Well, we weren't in the war yet, but yes, Americans got more jobs because Europe was at war, and we were selling them lots of stuff. So we were cashing in on that. But in the Depression, investments in businesses and money, they were they were worthless. But land, land always had value. And like you, the Dust Bowl? Yeah, like the Dust Bowl, but like good land, like Terra. Yeah. <laughs> but land always had value. Land didn't go anywhere. Like in the beginning when... Scarlet's dad said, as long as you have a drop of Irish Irish blood in you, then you'll always like love land and love it more than anything else. Right. And that was a popular sentiment at the time, I think, in the 30s. So that really resonated. Who's the protagonist of the movie? Scarlet. Scarlet. And uh, what are Scarlet's motivations at the beginning? At the beginning to um, make Ashley marry her or like fall in love with her. Yeah, her motivations are really about her, right? Yeah. And then, how does she change during the course of the movie? Then it's kind of more about her family and her land at the end. And then it's more about... But at the end, 
Well, it's still not Rhett. Yeah. Yeah. Was Scarlet a good person? Not in the beginning. Was she in the end? Not at the very, very end, but kind of, like, near the end, because she was doing all this work for other people, and, like, she didn't really think that much about herself. She just cared about the soldiers that were coming back from the war. And then when she married Rhett, it was more about her again. Well, she helps Melanie a lot. Yeah, even though, like, when Melanie was in labor, she could have left and like left Atlanta and been more safe, but she stayed with Melanie. You know what I really liked about Scarlet was a movie, even in 1939, that showed such a strong, powerful woman. Yeah. I mean, she was a business leader, you know, she was a farm owner yeah. at the end, I mean, right? So she ran the sawmill and that, and... And also Rhett, he was, like, more of the parent figure instead of, like, the stereotype of women always staying at home and watching the children. Rhett watched the child, even though he did have all the money, but Scarlett, she still owned the sawmill. And Tara. Yeah, and Tara. So what choices would you have made differently? In the end, I feel like Scarlett should have been a better person. If she would have just talked, both of them, really. Yeah. Paid more attention to Rhett. Because even though, like, everybody else knew it, she didn't know that she loved Rhett. And if she paid more attention to him and, like, she spent more time with him, maybe she would have known and then they would have had each other at the end. A happy ending? Yeah. You know, speaking of Rhett, I think Rhett's really the hero. I identify with Rhett. Well, I was going to say Melanie. (laughs) Well, you could talk about Melanie, but I want to talk about Rhett because I'm quite debonair. I'm thinking about growing that mustache. What do you think? Would that be a good look for me? Yeah. (laughs) I like how he spoils his daughter. So tell me your thoughts about Melanie as the hero. She inspires Scarlet to be a better person, and she's really, really nice to everybody. Like when, like, the whole town was talking about how Scarlet was, like, hugging Ashley... Melanie didn't care, and, well, she probably did care, but she didn't let her emotions, like, take over her and be rude to Scarlett. No matter what anybody said, Melanie believed the best about everybody. It'd be great if everybody were like that. Like, in the beginning, they were talking about Scarlett behind her back, and Scarlett could hear them, and Melanie was talking about how good Scarlett was, and, like, you don't really know her that well, like, you can't say those things. And at the end, at the birthday party? Yeah. When everybody saw them hugging, which was probably the most innocent thing, conversation the two of them ever had, Melanie was... She probably was hurt by it, because they were such close friends, but she didn't, like... Well, she... I don't think she honestly believed that there was anything there. I don't think she believed that either one of those people had it in them to do something hurtful. Even though they did all the time. She just didn't see that side of people. It was really nice. She reminds me of Mr. Smith. Who's Mr. Smith? When Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Oh. Because, <laughs> like, she's almost too perfect of a character, and he was too perfect of a character. There were, like, no flaws about him. That's true. Can't have characters like that today. No. People don't buy it. Something nice about old movies, especially Jimmy Stewart. My Fair Katie is also brought to you by the Tara Taylor's Crate Club. Each month, Tara Taylor's Crate Club sends you that perfect outfit. Just start by answering a few simple questions about your home decor, and Tara Taylor's Crate Club will will design a perfect wardrobe, shipping the pattern directly to your door. So be sure to impress your beau and get those taxes paid with your striking new outfit. 
Each month is risk-free. If you're not happy, just hang your curtains or reupholster the dining room chairs and receive a full refund. Start your free trial today with Tara Taylor's Crate Club. That's Tara Taylor's Crate Club. So just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you have to be a bad guy. So, who was the antagonist in the movie? Ashley. Ashley? Mm-hmm. Why Ashley? Because he stood in Scarlet's way, even though he did lie to her saying, Oh, I love you, but I just can't marry you because of Melanie. And then at the end, he told her that Melanie was his only true love. Did he have a point? I mean, was it fair for him to be, like, dragging her on? Well, she was, like, a young... Like, she was basically a kid. I guess it wasn't fair, but it was useful to him. Because what if, like, it didn't work out with Melanie? Like, <laughs> boom, Scarlett O'Hara right there. Snatch her up. Get married. What if Scarlett didn't love him then? <laughs> well... He was working pretty hard to make sure that she did. I, I love you, Scarlet. I just, I can't. I can't, not now. Oh, if only we lived in a different place and time. If only we could run away together. If only it wasn't for Melanie. We could be together forever. Oh, Ashley. If only. If only, Ashley. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You don't like my impressions? No. Oh, Ashley. And the funny thing is, is Ashley, he, he's British. Oh, they're all British, but he's not even trying. You know? Rhett doesn't try either. He doesn't sound like a dude from Charleston. <laughs> and Ashley certainly doesn't. Well, that's because he's rich. <laughs> well, if he was a southern gentleman from South Carolina, he might talk something more like this. <laughs> Not like the dude from It Happened One Night. <laughs> Who else was an antagonist? Was Melanie an antagonist? No. Well, it doesn't mean she's a bad person. It just meant she like stood in the way of the main character. Well, Scarlet didn't actually belong with Ashley. No. She belonged with the rat. Well, she probably belonged with one of those two twins. I mean, the way she was carrying on with oh. dessert and dance at the beginning... War doesn't break out. She ends up with one of those guys. Yeah. Which, they didn't really look alike, did they? They didn't look alike at all. Okay, so the setting of the movie is set, obviously, <laughs> in Georgia and during the Civil War and then during Reconstruction. So usually this is the place where we talk about, you know, was the setting important to the movie? Of course it was. Of course it was, yeah. You couldn't have this movie war, without... because, like, the war in the South, like, the South. If it was in the north, then there would be no slaves, and then there would be, like, there would be no devastation because they wouldn't have lost. No mystique of this gallantry and chivalry and all that. So, obviously, it has to be set during the Civil War. I guess you could set a similar love story at some other period. But, but it wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't. No, it wouldn't really resonate. It would be hard to have that same uh, trial and tribulation that Scarlet went through at Terra. But then also the immediate rebirth that enabled her to be successful while she was still young enough to have a family. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the 400 years war isn't going to work. So our next category is the craft work. So the cinematography is first. So what did you think of the cinematography of the movie? The only one scene that I liked was when they zoomed into Rhett Butler's face. That is like the most classic scene maybe in movie history. Like when the camera comes down the stairs yeah. and zooms in. That is the best you have the other classic shot from this movie 
that Spike Lee actually used recently in Black Klansman was the shot of Scarlet coming out of the hospital and then the camera pans back and you see some soldiers and then more soldiers and then more soldiers and there's just like thousands of soldiers laying oh, there. Yeah, I remember and that. then it pans all the way back to where you can see the tattered battle flag of the Confederacy showing how the Confederacy was worn to pieces. That shot has been used in lots of other movies and a really good episode of The Simpsons where every kid in the neighborhood had been injured on a trampoline. (laughs) (laughs) And it pans back and it shows all the neighborhood kids laying on the lawn from the trampoline. That sounds like if The Simpsons were on an AFB show. (laughs) Trampolines. Trampolines, yeah. That's why I was so mad at your mom when she showed up one day with a trampoline. <laughs> I just pictured all the neighborhood kids lined up in her backyard. All the lawsuits. <laughs> Alright, next category is music. So what did you think of the music in the movie? It did have really good music. And it was a bunch of music throughout. Where you didn't see that in like other films in 1939. Yeah, not so much. Like Wizard of Oz was a musical. So it had to have music. But Mr. Yeah, Smith goes to Washington and didn't have any music. Not really, no. Except for, like, the montage scene. And again, this is AFI's number two score in move, American movie history. So that's right behind Star Wars. I mean, everything's number two to Star Wars, right? Not Rocky. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Costume design. Costumes in this movie, what'd you think? They were amazing. Um, especially were. Scarlet's. It showed her journey because in the beginning she was wearing like big dresses, she looked like she looked like she was rich. And then near the end she was wearing like rags and to show that she wasn't doing the best. And then at the end again, when she was married to Rhett, she was also wearing like really expensive ball gowns like every day. So it kinda showed her journey. Played a big part in the story too, didn't it? Because, you know, like there was the hat where she oh. she pretends to play dumb or she plays dumb yeah. with Rhett pretending to put the hat on, not knowing how to put the hat on, puts it on backward, right? And she just looks at him coyly, you know. Or, of course, the very famous <laughs> taking the curtains and turn it into a, that green dress. <laughs> there was this show in the 70s called The Carol Burnett Show, and they did a, a spoof of Gone with the Wind. And Carol Burnett comes down the stairs, and she's wearing the dress, but it still has the curtain rod through the shoulders. <laughs> it's classic. It was like she's like six foot wide dress coming down the stairs. <laughs> we should watch that sometime. All right, the editing of the movie. So, what did you think? Do you think this movie was too short? Say, oh, I thought you were gonna say too long. No. Too short. It was only. It was nearly four hours. Yeah. <laughs> Did you think it was too long, or were you engaged for every moment? Engaged for every single second. It really does. The pace moves along. There's like so many things happening too. And there's no real B plots. It's all about Scarlet. You don't see what Red's doing when Scarlet's not around. You don't see what Ashley's doing when Scarlet's not around. You don't see war scenes. All you see is Scarlet, and yet it still moves the story forward at a at a good pace. There's no parts in the movie where I'm just sitting there thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot, you know. 
That's what happens when you're a parent. You think. Uh, Especially with like small foot. <laughs> okay, how about the titles of the movie? There really wasn't much, right? It was just Gone with the Wind. Did you like the way it like scrolled across the entire height of the screen? Gone with the Wind. That was pretty cool for 1939. Oh, oh yeah, that that was cool. And then it had you know the title card where it just said you know the actors and their role. All right, picking some nits here. I've got one. One really bothers me. One you may not have noticed. And if you don't want me to, I won't say it. Say it. Okay. When Ashley gets shot in the shoulder and they come back pretend to be drunk, as soon as the Union soldiers leave, they like take the coat off and they see that he's shot and not drunk, right? And so they take him to the bedroom. And when they do that, Melanie picks up a lamp and the lamp has a light bulb in it. It's not a flame, it's a light bulb. And I'm pretty sure there wasn't electricity and light bulbs in most houses in 1860-something. So so that was a problem that I saw. <laughs> Are horses really that dumb when you put like something over their face? When Brett is taking Scarlett and Melanie away like from Atlanta, he puts a blanket over the horse's face so he doesn't know that he's riding through fire. And then like two seconds later, it falls off while they're still in the fire. And the horse just... Doesn't care. The horse doesn't care. Like, the horse wouldn't go in the fire, and then... When it falls off, he's One second of the blanket on his face, yeah. That was a good one, too. (laughs) I'm sure there are plenty others. I mean, the movie's from 1939, but those were... But, like, you can't remember that because it was four hours long. (laughs) (laughs) I We'll have to have a notebook and watch it another time. (laughs) See if there are any other light bulbs. (laughs) All right, so what unanswered questions are there? And, you know... Does she need to get back with Brett? Well, yes, that is the obvious unanswered question. Do you want to talk about that now? Yes. Okay. What do you think? Yes. Because there was never a time when Scarlett didn't get what she wanted. I would argue that there was never a time where Scarlett actually got what Scarlett wanted. What do you mean? Well, what did Scarlett want? What did Scarlett say she wanted at the beginning? Ashley. What did Scarlett say she wanted in the middle? What did Scarlet get? Red. At the end, what did Scarlet want? Red. What did Scarlet get? Loneliness. <laughs> That's a very good point. She had loneliness throughout, really. The whole time, she was just lonely. Don't say that. I'm going to be sad. I'm going to make you cry. I think that they always broke up and always got back together, right? Yeah. And that's what your mommy says happens. And I know that's what you want to believe happens. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I think. I think that Bonnie dying broke Rhett. Like, literally, like, broke him. He's not the same person anymore after his daughter died. And he just couldn't do it anymore. He couldn't play the games. He couldn't have the drama. He just couldn't anymore. And when she died, that was it. He just could not be he couldn't be in the house anymore he couldn't be in atlanta anymore he just had to go away and he couldn't see the people he saw before and in a way you can understand that i mean somebody loses a kid they i can't imagine i can't even imagine i can't even imagine but you know to go through that and then like try to go back to having a normal life with the same people he had i just don't see it happening but to me, the story's about Rhett and Bonnie. 
<laughs> and the whole the whole prelude, the first two and a half hours is really just building up building up to Bonnie and Rhett. So, are there any other an- unanswered questions? Maybe that's the true love story. Maybe it is, just like this podcast. <laughs> you know, I got another unanswered question. What? Uh, does Sue Ellen ever get married? Maybe she's going to be an old maid. Because that's what she was worried about in the beginning. Yeah. She said, Scarlett took my husband, now I'm going to be an old maid. She did. See, your imitation's just as bad as mine. No, it's not. (laughs) Really, there's unanswered questions about everybody who doesn't die and who isn't Scarlett. What happened to Mammy? Was she in the end? She wasn't in the house. Well, they didn't show her, no. That's a good point. She was getting pretty old. Well, they put white hair on her. She was around. She was around when Scarlet was born. But she was in the scene like before that. Yeah. Which was like two days. Well, no, I'm not saying she died before the movie ended. Oh. Okay. But she was getting pretty old. Maybe she retired. Like everybody that you don't see die, they just leave them hanging. They never have a conversation back again where it's like, "Oh, my sister got married last week." Oh, that's very nice to hear. <laughs> you know. <laughs> None of that. There aren't that many people, though, that don't die. <laughs> Pretty sad. All right, so the big picture. What's the message of the film? What's the meaning? The only place that your heart belongs to is your home. Like The Wizard of Oz. Wait a minute. This is the tragic love story version of The Wizard Wait, of Oz. it's the same director. And it is the same director. <laughs> I wonder if he had, like, a problem. Like, he missed home. Well, it's not conspiracy theory. It's like Steven Spielberg, every movie he makes is about, like, kids of a divorce. Not Jaws. Okay, fine, but that was on a book. But, like, every movie he made after that, (laughs) you weasel. Wait, I read a book and his parents did get divorced. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, we were talking about uh, Victor Fleming. Oh. And the message of the movie. (laughs) Just what we need for forever four hour long movie podcast to like go home on another topic <laughs> it can be like four hours on the podcast <laughs> that should be our goal we should try to do a podcast longer than every movie we watch well with that recap <laughs> okay what about the context of the movie do you think that movie still has the same meaning today no Coming out of the depression with the land and everything we talked about before, I don't think that resonates today. No. But the love story resonates forever, though, right? And the father and daughter relationship. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. Overall in cinema history, where are we putting this one? Number two. Number two, behind Rocky. Of course. Yeah. It still holds up today, doesn't it? All right. And the Katie goes to... So, our Cherry Limeade Award is the award for the part of the movie that you could watch every single day. I have three nominees. The music, the costumes, and Rhett Butler. What part of Rhett Butler? Just Rhett Butler. Really? I just love watching Rhett Butler. Rhett Butler. You going with Rhett Butler? You don't have any other nominees? No. Okay. It's Rhett, it's totally Rhett Butler. It's This is the Rhett Butler movie. I don't know why people talk about Scarlet. It's Rhett Butler. The Odessa Steps Award, the award for the best scene. There's the barbecue scene at the beginning. 
There's the confession of love in the broken vase scene in the parlor. There's the hospital scene and Melanie's delivery where she freaks out and then goes back. There's the I'll never be hungry again scene. There's Rhett in jail. And then the the final scene. Do you have any other nominees? I don't like any of them. Well, what do you like then? I like the scene at Ashley's birthday party when Melanie was still nice to Scarlett even though she was caught hugging Ashley. Okay, so that's the best scene in the movie. Yeah. The best scene in the movie. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next category. This goes to 11. This is for the most over-the-top moment. You've got Mr. O'Hara going crazy. Well, it kind of made sense. You just lost like, your wife. Yeah, but no, the acting was like crazy over the top. And then he just takes off on his horse after oh. the overseer. Yeah. Or is it Aunt Pity Pat swooning at the square dance? Oh, just fanning Why? herself. Because she was dancing? Because Scarlet went to dance. That doesn't seem like a big deal. Remember, she was like passing out? Oh, yeah. Oh, it was shameful. And then the last one is anything with Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie Howard is obviously a stage actor. Didn't really have a subtlety for the film. <laughs> no. Pity Pat swooning at the square dance. That's your winner? Yeah. Okay. Next category is the McDonald's French Fries Award. It's the award for the most delicious side. So here are my nominees. The twins? Yeah. Frank Kennedy or Prissy? Where's Mammy? Well, I don't even consider her a side. I consider her a main, main part. Yeah, true. <laughs> Frank Kennedy? No, he's kind of creepy. Prissy? Yes. She's funny. <laughs> she is kind of funny. I, I like when she's like freaking out and then as soon as they turn away, she's like... I love Frank Kennedy. I don't know why I love Frank Kennedy. I think he's great. I love his sideburns. I love that he's a middle-aged man. I love that he starts a mill and lets Scarlett just walk all over him and take control. I just think I just think he's a great character. He's kind of creepy. Because <laughs> he wanted to marry Sue Ellen, and at the time Scarlett was 16... And Swellen was even younger than Scarlett? Well, that was after the war. So, like, nine oh. years? Okay, but I think the actor was probably playing somebody older than he really was. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, sorry. I think the actor was playing somebody younger than the actor really was. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they had to get, like, people, like, in their 30s to play most of these roles. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Vivian Lee was not 16 years old. <laughs> no. <laughs> Right? Yeah. So, I don't know about creepy. It wasn't like he was, like, like leering at her. Ooh, Sue Ellen. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's great. India was my least favorite character. She, yeah. She had a bad attitude. She did have a bad attitude. But that's not the category. So, you're giving it to Prissy? Yes. All right, fine. It's the pictures that got small. The award for the best quote. This one, maybe second best quote movie of all time, behind Casablanca. Frankly, my dear. Your mouse. After all, tomorrow is another day. As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. It was the same character and you did two different voices. I did. But there were different 
And this one is the same character too. Fiddle Dee. I didn't do voices, I did attitudes. Oh, okay. Fiddle Dee. And then the last one is Rhett again. No, I don't think I will kiss you. Although you need kissing badly. That's what's wrong with you. You should be kissed and often and by someone who knows how. <laughs> After all, tomorrow's another day. The last one's my favorite. Oh. I mean, you don't get to pick. Probably the most powerful line, the best quote is As God is my witness. I like that one the most. But yeah. my favorite line in the movie is <laughs> You need you need a good kissing. Badly. Alright, winner winner, chicken dinner. Who won the movie? Could be a real person or one of the characters. Tara won the movie. Tara won the movie. Yeah. Please defend yourself. <laughs> because that's where Scarlett felt comfortable. And even when it was in like its worst stages, like she still felt loved there and that's where all of her family was. Okay. I can't argue with that. I mean I would say Clark Gable. <laughs> or Frank. <laughs> I mean, Frank upgraded from Sue Ellen to Scarlet. Upgrade? Are you kidding? Everybody wanted to marry Scarlet. Even uh. even Ashley. Even Rhett. Everybody wanted to marry Scarlet. Yeah, that's true. But Sue Ellen was nice. Ah, no, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> she really wasn't nicer. <laughs> All right, next category. R-E-S-P-C-T. Show, should this movie be remade? No. You think it holds up well the way it is? Yes. Could it be remade? Yes, but not as good. It would be a very different movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, it couldn't be remade. No. It shouldn't be remade. It couldn't be remade. It would not be the same movie at all. No. So, I'm not even going to ask you what changes you'd make because it's like everything, right? Yeah. Just to cancel the movie, that's a change I'd make. It would have to be, yeah. You couldn't remake it like an ode to the movie. You'd have to just completely remake a totally different movie. Any thoughts on who you would put in this movie if you were to remake it, just out of curiosity? Who would you put as Clark Gable? Oh, I thought you meant me as Clark Gable. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I grew the little mustache. You don't think so? Would I look good with a mustache? Yeah. <laughs> Weasel. <laughs> All right, fine. And that's a wrap. Our brief takeaways from the movie. My takeaway, I like to go first here so you get the last word. My takeaway from the movie is that the love story of this movie still holds up well. I think that it's amazing what they did without showing any action in the movie. There are no action pieces in this entire movie. But they make it feel action-packed, even though the action's off-screen, which I love. It was great, and it changed the way movies were made. There are some troubling aspects of the movie, but I think as a love story, it's fantastic. What are your thoughts? But I wish that at the end it kind of had a better ending. Do you really wish it had a better ending? Yes. Would it really be a good movie if it had a happy ending? Yes. No. No. Why do we like movies that make us cry? I don't know. I don't know either. But we watch, you watch movies that make you cry. No, I don't. <laughs> all the time. I watch movies. That although. Make you cry. Yeah. Like Field of Dreams. Yeah, I guess that one's okay. So before Field of Dreams, 
men were only allowed to cry at one movie. What? Brian's song. How is that? It's a movie where Lando Calrissian plays Gale Sayers, the football player, and his best friend is played by James Caan, Sonny Corleone, and James Caan dies of cancer. And then, I'm going to keep it together here, and then Gale Sayers gives up and gets a speech about Brian Bigelow. And it's really, it's just too much for any man to take. I can't man cry at any movie. I don't know. Like Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> no one cries at Sleeping Beauty. It's like the worst movie ever. No, it's not. Uh, okay, maybe not the worst ever. I mean, it's not. Smallfoot. Okay, it's better than Smallfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is better than Smallfoot. Ouch. <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't a, a podcast on kids' movies. Sorry. <laughs> Okay, yeah, Smallfoot was kind of boring, but it wasn't terrible. It wasn't like... Wait, Billy can't listen to this podcast. No. It wasn't like Face Off bad. That's Face Off. Oh. Okay, Face Off is a movie where John Travolta and Nicolas Cage play two guys, one a bad guy and one a cop, right? And they actually l- literally switch faces to pretend to be the other one. Why? Exactly. And then John Travolta trying to act like Nicolas Cage because he's just got the John Travolta face on, the Nicolas Cage face on John Travolta and the opposite, Nicolas Cage doing John Travolta and John Travolta doing Nicolas Cage. It's obscene. It is ridiculous. It is terrible. It is so bad it's almost funny enough to be not bad anymore. But not quite. <laughs> when a movie gets to be so bad that it's good this is not there this is at the very tippy edge of not not funny just bad and that's that's the worst movie ever so okay Sleeping Beauty is not there okay Sleeping Beauty's got amazing music uh, I know And a relatable character. He sleeps. <laughs> a relatable character. Yeah. A 16-year-old who's going to marry somebody she met for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, Anna was going to marry somebody that she just met. Well, Anna's a moron. And she I... realizes that in the end. I hear when people say, Elsa's the main character. It's totally Anna. No, yeah, right? Yeah. Or Olaf. <laughs> Well, Olaf's the sidekick. It's totally Anna. It's Anna's. Yeah. It's about Anna's journey, yeah, not, not Elsa's. Elsa. But it's about them as sisters. Yeah. Why are we talking about Frozen? I don't know. <laughs> All right. So final thoughts on Gone with the Wind. That home is the only place where your heart is, where your head, like that you'll always stay true to. I'd say it's a wrap. It's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>